All right, welcome to School Facilities and Operations. I am Burke Jones. I'm a operations guy in a K-12 district in Kansas. Um, so I deal with facilities every day uh, in my job. Um, and on the podcast, we normally, we have two kinds of conversations. One, uh, I bring a guest on that has a similar position to me, and we just talk about what's going on in their district, what their challenges are. Um, what's going on in their life. And then the other kind is I bring a trade partner on and um, really kind of do a deep dive to get some questions answered that I have, which I assume a lot of other people would have the same kinds of questions. So that's what we have today on today's episode. Um, I have Jeremy Nallette, uh from McCowan Gordon Construction, and um, we are going to be talking about commissioning. And so, um, you know, I've heard about commissioning for a long time, but I still have a lot of questions. And um, so I thought it'd be a great topic to, to get some more information on and really get a better understanding on how it can benefit us. So welcome, Jeremy. Well, thank you. Thank you for uh, the invitation to come on here and speak to you about it. We appreciate it. Sure. So give us a little background on, you know, how you've come up to this position and then um, share with us something that's more personal about yourself, like that we wouldn't normally read about if we were looking at LinkedIn or something. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I, how I got here, uh, you know, I went to Kansas State University and uh, graduated with architectural engineering. Uh, careers kind of been split between the design world and the commissioning world, you know, graduating in 2007, the economy kind of went back and forth there a little bit. Uh, so that's kind of how I cut my teeth in on the, the commissioning side. Um, so, you know, I have a unique perspective from sitting on the design world to being able to test other people's designs. Um, you know, so now here I am at, uh, McCown Gordon leading the commissioning team. Um, facts about me, uh, I really love getting into sports, uh, the housing remodels, you know, I'm always working on my house and continuously updating it. And, you know, I'm on house number two here. Um, I really did enjoy uh, brewing some beer. So I've got a Oktoberfest sitting in my beer fridge lagering currently. And, uh, you know, it's been a fun hobby that I can really apply some, uh, you know, my nerdiness with uh, the controls and how it's done and the process. And, you know, so it's a lot of fun. Well, when's that going to be ready? I'm oh, just going to plan my trip, you know, to Kansas City. <laughs> Yeah, so it's in the uh, lagering phase now. It's been fermented, and so I probably have another couple of weeks here until uh, it's ready that you know I can put it into the the keg and start carbonating it. So very cool. Well, you went to the right school too. It was K was, State alum. Yeah, learned a lot. It was it prepared me very well. Yeah, well, sounds good. So let's dive into this commissioning. So I guess let's just start with kind of what the definition is or in the big picture what um commissioning does what do you do when you commission something okay so at a high level commissioning is a systematic process to ensure that the design intent is met and that the facility or the building systems operate the way that they're supposed to or intended you know so you can get in there and the building may or may not, you know, controls vendors go in, they, you know, forest through the trees, they're programming everything. They're trying to make all the pieces and parts work and, you know, things get missed. We're all human. So it's uh, a process to ensure it's a cute quality control process to make sure that it's uh, installed and operating the way that it should. Okay. 
so basically you take what kind of what the design engineer's intent was and then make sure that it's actually performing that way. Yeah. And it, it also, depending on when you start, you know, if it's a lead project, it could start all the way at the very beginning with the owner, when you establish an owner's project requirements, you know, and then you bring in the design team. So commissioning is really a thread. If you have the full breadth of the scope to take you from conception all the way through turnover and handoff, you know, so when you as the owner are there through the whole thing, you have the design team and then it turns over to the construction side and then it turns over to the owner. We can be that voice and that thread to make sure that your criteria is met. Okay. So I know there's a couple different, you know, you could be talking about brand new construction or a building that's 20 years old or whatever. So let's, let's talk about new construction. And I would just say a typical school project. So not probably um, what would be the best practices if we wanted to work with a commissioning, I guess, agent or company through that thing? Yeah, to me, it's get somebody that you know, like, and trust. If you get somebody you know, like, and trust, they're going to be out for your best interests. You know, a lot of it, it is a business, but, you know, it's got to work for everybody, you know, so... If you have somebody you know, like, and trust, it makes the process work really well that you know they have your best interest in mind. You know, so whether that's a third party or whether that's, you know, part of a GC or, you know, if you have somebody like that, to me, that goes a long way. That's, you know, find somebody with personal integrity that you really enjoy working with. Um, but as, you know, the procurement kind of goes on, it really, you can customize your scope. You can customize kind of what you want to fit your budget. You know, you can start with lead and you go with the OPR commissioning plan. It's a really defined process to, you know, some schools, if they have a limited budget, we'll narrow it down to a kickoff meeting and um, just functional performance testing. And we give an issues log and it's really just putting it through its paces. You know, it, anything can be customized to meet your needs. I lost your audio. Do you have me now? Yes, I got you now. Okay. Well, we had a minor difficulty where my audio was out. <laughs> so if you were working like during the design phase, um, like what does that look like? Are you giving feedback to the design engineer based on what we all decided was kind of our goals with this project? Yeah, so it makes sure that we align with what your goals are, what, you know, your energy you goals are, what, you know, I mean, sometimes you know what you guys want for a sequence of operations. You know, if you want to spread that across the board, you have a standard. We make sure that it's adhered to that. But we really look at it from a commissionability standpoint and maintainability. Okay. You know, so how easy is it to test? How, you know, it, it's coordinating sometimes a lot of the pieces and parts, the controls, getting the controls vendor and the manufacturer in the same room if it's being integrated and kind of making sure the left hand's talking to the right hand to avoid it down the line. Okay. So hopefully no one laughs at me when I ask this question, but what do you mean by sequence of operation? Okay. So every mechanical piece of equipment, an air handler, a chilled water system, 
there's a control system of some sort, whether you have a central control system or it's unitary to that piece of equipment, how that equipment is programmed to operate is the sequence of operation. Okay. And so that's normally standardized or like, I know we have that because we have a control system, but I don't know, you know, I guess I didn't, wasn't sure how standardized it was. So a lot of school districts don't necessarily have it standardized. Some do. Uh, We just went through an exercise where, you know, we got commissioning on it and the design engineer had a sequence of operations, but what the control vendor put in didn't match. So we wrote all our sequence or all of our functional tests to match what the design engineer had, but the submittal was a copy and paste out of that. But what they actually implemented was different. Okay. What had happened was that controls vendor was is used by that district all throughout, and they put in what the district standard was, but nothing was documented. So we mm-hmm. went through that exercise to really document it and establish it. So moving forward, when they go to a design engineer, it's here are our sequence of operations. So that okay. way everything matches across the board. Okay. So then like during the construction process, what does your involvement look like? Okay, so a lot of that, it's early on in the construction process, it's, you know, making sure we're integrated into the schedule. That's kind of the big one. But then there tends to be somewhat of a lull, if you will. You know, we'll come out and do spot checks, we'll walk the site, you know, go through uh, when the contractors go to install the equipment and start it up. We like to be there for some of the startups. Um, When the equipment starts to go in, if part of the scope, you have pre-functional checklists, we're facilitating that, making sure that uh, the subs and everybody is checking those off, you know, is the electrical connections there? Where's the controls? You know, it, it, it's a install checklist really. Okay. Um, and then we'll have, we'll carry on from there to test and balance will occur. We, you know, once that all happens and we have the test and balance report, then we come in and we do that functional testing and everything that's out there. So we work with the subs and put it all through its paces, make sure it's okay. there. And we develop uh, an issues log and or deficiency log. There's a hundred names for it. Right. Um, and we help track those to resolution. You know, and okay. So that's kind of as we get through that construction phase. So what would a, what would some issues look like? Like what would oh, be man. issues? Yeah. So some of them are is you know as simple as um, trying to think. Oh. You know, like a lead lag sequence on a humidifier for an air handler. This was one that okay. came up yesterday where, you know, we failed a humidif- humidifier came up. It acted the way it was supposed to. But when you fail a humidifier, they had redundant ones. The second one was supposed to pick up. It didn't pick up. So there was an issue with that one. Um, another one was uh, this particular unit was supposed to have a dehumidification mode where, you know, the relative humidity coming back in the return air was high. Then it would you know, change the discharge air temperature to bring some of that water moisture out of the air. Right. Uh, didn't incrementally change that discharge air temperature the way it was supposed to. So by identifying this, it allows the controls vendor to go in and correct that to get you what you guys wanted to have and what the design engineer had prescribed. So having just recently opened several buildings, those are issues we've had. That, you know, we had to like research and figure out and discover where they could have been headed off right when the building was opening instead of, you know, nine months later. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. 
Because, you know, we discover it when the papers start curling on people's desk. <laughs> like, I think there's a humidity problem in this room. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, it helps with that occupant comfort and then, you know, works with uh, your maintenance team. You know, so on the back end from construction side, you have the turnover and all that. So there's you may have training as part of your scope that trains your staff to know how to use it. Um, you know, validating you may have a warranty phase where we come back at 11 months, you know, or deferred testing to say we do it in the middle of June or July. We may come back in the winter and, you know, test your your heating as opposed to completely faking it out, making it think it's 40 degrees outside. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I can see a lot of value in this. What kind of, like, what's a price range for that kind of, I know there's lots of probably scope options and everything mm-hmm. else, but what would be a typical range for something like that? Yeah. So like you said, depending on documentation, what scope you choose, um, a good range for a school, you know, is 75 cents to a dollar square foot. Um, the dollar would be more if you have a lab, you know, something like that depends on the intensity of it where, you know, 75 cents for a typical school is, is probably pretty fair. Um, assuming yeah. you have a, a pretty full scope, you know, pretty right. close to lead. So, you know, depending okay. on what options you have, it can get a little bit lower. Okay. I mean, in my, I'm just doing the mental math in my head. I mean, it's a chunk of money, but you know, to be assured it's going to work right when you open and then kind of have all of that documentation of how it was supposed to work and how, if we need to fall back and relook at something, my guys would have all that in hand. I think mm-hmm. that could be, that could be really well money well spent, I think. Yeah. So. Well, there's also a, a return, which I'm sure we'll get to with retro commissioning. It's easier to see, but you know, you have, um, all the documentation, as you said, but you have a utility spend that if it wasn't operating correctly, it's probably spending more using more electricity and that kind of stuff, you know, maintenance side of it. If you're hammering those compressors more than you really need to, it's probably gonna have a premature failure. So down the line, you're going to have more spend. So it's kind of where, where do you, you know, shift that money kind of thing. And, you know, so it it tends to have a, a pretty quick payback, you know, huh. usually two to five years, I think is kind of the, the average, depending on, depending on the building systems, you know, there's always those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is interesting because, you know, the engineer designs this thing, the contractors put it in, hook everything up, turn it on. The engineer walks through and be like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I mean, you can't see much on a walkthrough, right? It's blowing air. it's been tested it's been balanced and all that but there's all that other stuff that went into that happened before the switch was flipped that no one Mm -hmm. double checks um so i think it's that's it's a very interesting thought process i think for me to to think about for the next time we do new buildings yeah Um, so let's talk about retro commissioning because this is one that i think um, I've heard, I've talked to a couple other guys in my position where they've done this. Um, and it was, they had significant results from it. Um, so let's talk about that because that's what most of us have. We have, you know, 10 to 50, 60, 70 year old buildings and 
you know, I know like our HVATC techs, they go in and they tweak things here and tweak things there. And I can only imagine after 20 years, mm-hmm. that system's yep. probably not running anything <laughs> like it was designed. Yep. So yep. let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. So retro commissioning or existing building commissioning, those terms can be interchangeable depending, you know, um, it's another systematic process to go through and ensure that the, the systems are working the way that they're supposed to. But a lot of times it's um, more along the lines of, hey, my utility bills are really high or um, occupant comfort, you know, you have humidity issues or, you know, you there's just something going on with there, you know, and um, it's it's going in either can be looked at many different ways. So uh, solving occupant comfort issues and reducing utility spend are the, are the big ones. And right. this is my personal favorite type of commissioning. Um, you know, it's you get to go in and it, it allows me to use the the engineering side of me and, and problem solve on a different way. Um, you know, you go and you test all the equipment, you do a point to point to make sure that the sensors are calibrated, that when it says the fans enabled, did it enable, you know, that kind of stuff. But then you're also looking at um, different things that you can change or implement that would save energy. You know, technology is always changing. You know, you used to put in big, um, you know, squirrel cage fans and things, and now you have fan walls. You know, they're way more efficient. It's more even air distribution. Anyway, there's a savings in there. But even adjusting like a sequence of operations of my discharge air uh, on a VAV system as a duct static, instead of just a hard set number, you can make that change based on what the spaces are calling for. That saves motor horsepower, that saves, you know, compressors and things like that. So, you know, you put the system through its paces and you start identifying these things that you can change and you start to calculate each measure that we call. Um, You know, you have... ECMs, FIMs, and EEMs. So an ECM is energy conservation measure. Um, those tend to have somewhat of a impact on the tenants or the, the occupants. Um, you have an FIM is facility improvement measure that it may not save energy or you know have a, a return on investment that way, but it may as far as your maintenance staff. And okay. then EEMs is uh, energy efficiency measure that won't have an impact for say on the occupant, but it saves energy on the operation. Okay. So, and in the end, we package all this stuff together and we provide a report and you know, kind of come back with you on uh, what, what you would like to implement. Okay. So then we get the report, but then you would work to help us get that implemented, either working with the controls guys or, mm-hmm working with our guys to get new equipment or new fans or whatever. Okay. Yep. Yep. You know, and, and I skipped some steps in there, there, if you have the occupant comfort issues, we may interview your staff. We may look at your maintenance records. You know, there's a whole, you know, um, there's the investigation part of it, but then there's the whole data collection and really seeing formulating a game plan to go and do all that testing. And then we pull the analysis. So, okay. Does it ever like to do some of that testing? Do you have to have it like accurately balanced? So when we go through and do the testing uh, or the interviews and stuff, it's good to have it accurately balanced, but it tends to show itself, you know? So if you have humidity issues, a lot of times your outside air may not be correct or, you know, they, they, there are things that tend to show that 
hey, this isn't balanced well. And a lot of times that that is a recommendation. Okay. So um, can you do that like on, I don't know, a wing of a building? Like if I have a problem area of the building, can we identify those units and say, let's see what's going on here? Yeah, you can do some targeted commissioning. And yes, most definitely. Okay. So how much does that usually cost? That's the $100,000 question every time. Right, right. So it really, again, comes back to scope and what you want included. Um, On average, it's anywhere, uh, we probably land 30 to 50 cents a square foot depending on scope, um, just to get you, that gets you all the way to that report and that phase. You know, as far as the implementation, we tend to run that as a separate contract because you don't know what you're going to find. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Because it might be a couple year implementation or or a few year if we're trying just to do it out of, you know, capital outlay or something like that. So, okay. And when we turn that over, we try to lay things out or have that conversation with you up front of, hey, what's your simple payback that you're looking to do? You know, so some of them might be a two year payback. So it might be six months. You know, you might look out to five years, you know, that kind of thing. Or we may lump some of them together to make it so this package has a total payback for what you're looking for. Yeah. Do you think there's an age of equipment that it's not beneficial for? You know, I mean, we have a lot of equipment. I probably every school district does. That's like right at the edge of, you know, their lifespan. Does that make sense to. It kind of depends on your budget, your appetite for it, because, you know, there's a lot of times you can go in and maybe the, maybe you have a great maintenance staff and it's a matter of changing out compressors or, you know, it it depends on, I would look at the maintenance logs and see what's happened with that unit. And sometimes it's worth swapping the whole unit out and other times it's worth just making some of those corrections on pieces and parts. Okay. You know, that makes sense. You know, Hey, take out that old fan and put a fan wall in if it makes sense. And then, you know, that part's good. It, it depends on the equipment to answer your question. Right. What's that term you used? A fan what? A fan wall. A fan wall. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So instead of one big fan, it might have four fans that move the air and work in concert together. Okay. 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 So we've talked about new building. We've talked about retro. What a, I think there was another one we talked about a little bit and I didn't totally... Mm-hmm grasp it so let's talk about that yeah so there's uh monitoring based commissioning um it's also uh continuous commissioning but that's been uh copyrighted or that's the term i'm looking for by uh texas a&m so there are a few names out there for it you know we call it monitoring based commissioning um and better trademark that one right Uh, that's what they've (laughs) done with the uh with continuous commissioning thank you uh right or whatever it's called yeah um you know, so where new building, it, it's different than new building and retro commissioning, whereas those tend to be a little bit more snapshot in time. You know, with new building, you're putting it through its paces, but you're seeing putting it through full cooling, full heating, you know, and it's this brief moment, if you will, a week, you know, depending on how big it is. Retro commissioning is kind of the same way. You know, we tend to look at trends. So that opens that window up a little bit more where Monitoring-based commissioning is you're applying, you know, some some rules, some fault detection, maybe some analytics, and you're looking at it through its day-to-day. So, okay. you know, with the analytics, you're kind of looking at 
you know, how often is uh, this tear handler kicking on and off? Is there some improvements we can make? But it's continuously watching your system. So a simple example I like to go with is I got a VAV box. I'm calling for heating. The discharge air temperature says it's 70 degrees. Well, that's outside of the range that we would expect. So then it would, you know, notify that there is a fault that's been detected. So you can get ahead of things early. So it's continuously watching that. So instead of, you know, somebody making a phone call to you, you've got a flag ahead of time and you can try to, you know, be a little bit more proactive in things. Okay. So what, what would like your involvement being something like that? So uh, another one of those that depends on your scope, um, uh-huh. you know, so what we try to do is set it up to, we'll come in and we will establish, you know, the rules or the software package that has to be put, put onto that. Um, and then depending on the scope of work with it, you know, we can go through and we can provide monthly reports or, you know, kind of go through those faults and turn have meetings with you to turn over what our findings are with some recommendations. And really we just kind of watch that over, you know, for anywhere from a year to three years is kind of where we try to tie things in and, uh, you know, be able to make recommendations for improvements and identify things that uh, aren't working properly or, you know, starting potentially beginning to. Right. So is that typically a separate software and controls? I mean, sensor package than what our controls package is? Um, Yes, it depends on the controls vendor. Um, You know, here in Kansas City, we're using, we're partnering with some controls vendors to uh, essentially have a bolt-on package that they put with theirs. And uh, so it can be a part of that, or it can be a third party that we overlay with it. So, you know, if we have an analytics package, we might use a SkySpark, which will overlay uh, the control system. So a lot of, most of the time, it tends to be an add-on that's integrated. Right. So are you seeing like a lot more, I'll say school districts specifically, um, you know, working with someone to commission their systems than they used to? Yeah, I definitely am. Um, the scopes are being a little bit dialed in. Um, you know, we'll have some of them that go back to that functional testing only and some that, you know, depending on what it is, you know, a lot of universities, you see more residence halls, they you know, want to have it lead certified, you know, so we'll have right. that scope of it. Um, but yeah, from a QAQC standpoint, um, yeah, you know, we, we're seeing a lot of schools because it's eliminating some of that headache or removing some of the headache and, um, you know, setting that building up to a smoother turnover and transition. Yeah. I think that's what amazed me because I was an architect before this. And so, you know, we used to finish a building and like, oh, it's done. <laughs> and then from the owner's side, you're like, oh my gosh, like we have to move everybody into this building, right? You know, and then we have to, you know, establish the culture and deal with all of the new equipment and controls. And um, it's a huge job as an owner to, to open a new building. Um, so I think, you know, having that commissioning side, man, we can, we know it's working. It's going to go smooth. Um, no one's going to be hot on the first day. Um, that would be a huge load off of guys like me, I feel like. So um, yeah. I think it's, I think it sounds super cool. I've got, there's some buildings here. I love to look at either, you know, a whole building retro commissioning or just some targeted areas where we know we have 
people aren't comfortable on a regular basis, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be in my future. So anything else you want to cover off on commissioning? Oh man, I could go on this for days. So (laughs) (laughs) I might end up putting you to sleep. So, (laughs) I mean, do you have any successes? You don't have to name names, but you have any, like something that just stands out? Like, you know, we were able to do this for somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, man. Okay. So one of the more recent ones that was a new building commissioning was, uh, you know, it was a pretty large building. They had what twenty air handlers, something like that. With you know, each unit, shoot, probably had a hundred VAB boxes off of it. Just massive yeah. building. Um, well, they had you know an outside airplane on that tied into these ERUs, which then that fed to one or two air handlers. And we were having an issue where that outside air coming in was just really shaking or oil canning that um, ductwork. You know, and we it was really loud. We were trying to solve the problem. I mean, it was going all the way down through the air handler and, you know, you could tell it in the space and, you know, the manufacturer got involved and we were troubleshooting this. And um, myself and another guy in our office, we, you know, as the manufacturers doing their thing, we went and did some additional testing on it. And uh, what it was, what ended up solving the problem was um, on the ERUs that outside air that comes in it had a damper that opened from the top first and then you know as that opened you the fan was base mounted at the bottom and then went through the unit well as that opened up it stopped you know three quarters of the way to get that the amount of air it needed it's creating enough turbulence with that fan that it was just causing that to shake we had run tests you know various different things that we thought it could be and tried it out and you know we tried just adding a little more static pressure on the inlet side of that fan by modulating that damper. And long story short, that didn't solve completely the problem, but it showed that it it reduced it significantly. So, you know, we went back with the mechanical, they ended up flipping those dampers to allow the air to come in and it opens from the bottom and it completely solved the problem. So it was one of those really fun ones that, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you walk away from that one with a little more pep in your step, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Makes all that engineering science pay off right there. Yeah. You know, and, uh, another one to go with the retro side was uh, one of the counties here. We did some work there experiencing some high utilities and we had benchmarked it with uh, Energy Star. And, you know, it was supposed to be a 50 and they were blowing that out of the water by 20 some points. And we went through, did the full retro commissioning and point to point, and they selected what measures that they had wanted. And we ended up beating Energy Star by five or six points. So we brought them, brought them down within range and, and surpassed it to where now they're, you know, seeing a lot of utility savings. And uh, wow, we, we identified one of their handlers had seven compressors, and we found out five of the seven weren't working. So, <laughs> wow, yeah. So yeah. that was occupant comfort and the utility savings. So that was a. Uh, a, a nice email when they you know came back and said, "Hey, we got the updated stuff. We wanted to share it with you before you guys started running it." So yeah, that's amazing. Just things you don't even think about, you know. Yeah. So, and then our maintenance guys not even not even realize, you know, some of the compressors were out. I mean, yep. Yep. still working. <laughs> yep. so, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. Okay, so. At the end of these, um, I ask everybody kind of the same three questions. So 
it doesn't have to be a long answer. It's kind of a rapid fire thing. So what, what does your family or parents or whatever say that you do for a living? Ooh, you know, I'm not really sure they know exactly what I do. Um, <laughs> my wife likes to summarize it as I solve problems for a living and make sure things work the way that they're supposed to. So, you know, That's around perfect. my, around my house, I'm you know, known as the problem solver and something's wrong. I'm the first one they come to. So it's, you know, something I enjoy doing. So yeah, that's Very how they'd summarize that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, so when do you get your best work done in a work day? Are you like a morning person, afternoon person? Yeah, I like mornings. Um, you know, it tends to be a little calmer. I can really focus on things and, and get it done. Um, yeah, I like mornings or after my kids go to bed, you know, if I got stuff I got to do, I'll truck through it then and you know, but mornings I tend to have the clearest mind and tend to get the most done. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think what you'll find is that's what I used to do. And now that the kids are gone, I'm too tired by that time of night to do anything. (laughs) (laughs) It's got to be done by like six or seven or I'm not doing it anymore. So, (laughs) um, okay. Last question. So I moved back and forth a lot between using a paper-based planner or digital. So right now I'm like fully digital. I think I found a great system, but what do you like to use? Like you, I tend to flip back and forth, you know, and something gets a little stale. I try to change it up a little bit. Um, For our department, we tend to use uh, the digital base. So everybody has their own, but then they tie into what our our group does as a team. And, but I still have, you know, some of my own little small stuff that's just quick check boxes. So uh-huh. yeah, I, I go the hybrid route to answer your question. <laughs> do you guys use OneNote or what do you guys use as a team? We use uh, one, we use Teams, which ties in OneNote and, you know, the planner and all that. So we've kind of oh, developed yeah. that out with our team to, because a lot of us are remote, you know, for the guys out on the project site, we can still assign tasks and check in. And yeah. so it allows us to collectively have an idea of what's, where everybody's at and resources that are available and things like that. Okay. Well, cool. Well, Hey, give us the pitch on McCown Gordon. Uh, McCown Gordon, you know, having been on both sides of the commissioning, you know, and the engineering side, you know, McCown has always been fantastic to work with. They are problem solvers and they like to come at things very holistically. You know, it's let's pull all the different heads in to solve the problem. You know, there's, not finger pointing or any of that. And that's what I really love about it. You know, and the integrity and the relationships are, are very, very important. And, you know, they tend to really leverage those, um, you know, and they tend to do what they're going to, they say they're going to do. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We build better buildings. <laughs> <laughs> well, having worked with McCown and Gordon, I would agree. You guys are a great team. Um, and uh, we, you know, we used, I mean, you guys worked in a construction manager at risk you know, delivery model and it was really successful for us. So, well, Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, you okay if people reach out to you, if they have any questions or anything like that, and what's the best way yeah. for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, that would be fantastic. Um, best way to get a hold of me would be, you know, my, probably my email, um, J Nollett, N-O-L-L-E-T-T at McCownGordon.com or, uh, you know, just, uh, reach out to our office and, you know, we'll get you in touch with me. So sounds good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I think everyone's going to get a lot of value out of this. I know I understand it even more than I did before, which I actually understand it a lot more than I did before. So good job. 
And um, I think everyone will get a lot of value out of this episode. And I appreciate you spending the time with us. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much.